so you know that thing, everything that can go wrong will go wrong. And uh, so uh, thank you, Tammy and Carrie and James uh, and Ethan, the sound guy. Uh, they've all been running around uh, crazy this morning trying to make sure everything's working. Um, and we still don't know whether it's all working or not, uh, whether we've got audio on the live feed or no audio on the live feed. But, but we're working on it. We'll get it worked out. And hopefully next uh, week we'll have a few more bugs taken out of the system, uh, but that doesn't matter to you because you're here, so welcome here this morning. We are uh, kicking off a brand new series today called Moss or More. If you're familiar with uh, Taco Bell, anybody like Taco Bell? Yeah, a few of you, a few of you like the bathroom, uh, and uh, so Taco Bell, it, their slogan is Live Moss right? Live more. And so we're going to start the series uh, today with this idea of, of how to live a life of more. So I want to start out with this um, question for you today. Have you ever wished you had more to give God or that you could be more for God? I want to tell you a little bit of a, of a story. So um, in 2007, early 2007, we launched Real Life in our own building, in the Kawasaki building. Some of you were here for that a uh, long time ago, 12 and a half years ago we did that. But before we launched in that building, we were meeting in my living room. There were four of us families, eight adults and nine kids. We met together on Sunday mornings. Um, we prayed. We, uh, I preached a little bit. I remember I sat on the edge of my couch and and uh, preached this small group of people, and we talked about our hopes and dreams. We, we took communion together, uh, and we received an offering. Back then, that offering, um, it wasn't very much. In fact, um, I'll just give you an idea. My salary for the first four years of our church, uh, I think, was about $20,000. That's not $20,000 a year. That's $20,000 for the whole four years. In fact, I think about three quarters of that twenty thousand came in the second and or in, yeah, in the third and fourth year from a church planting organization that decided to support us. Uh, and those were tough years back in the early days. We had secondhand equipment back then, but we had a dream that people who were far from God could find real life in Jesus, and and that's carried us through to today. Today, we're 12 and a half years into our church plant. Right now, we're averaging about 113 for the year on Sunday mornings. Now, in the last three months, September, October, November, we've averaged about 124 uh, in the last three months. So church is growing, and we're thankful uh, to you for that. Uh, you're giving as well, but there's been a lot of other things that have been able to take place we were able to help plant a church in Koper, Slovenia, where it didn't exist. And right now, of course, it's a few hours ahead of us, and so a little bit ago, that church was meeting. It's nearly autonomous. They have uh, their first elder, and uh, they're growing and sharing the gospel. Koper, Slovenia has about 1% of the population is Christian. And so now there's a church there, and people are learning about Jesus, and they're baptizing people uh, in the ocean there. It's just an awesome Thing, and we've got to be a part of that over the last 10 years. There have been a lot of other exciting things. Uh, how about this one? There, uh, in the last 12 and a half years, 
We've baptized 143 people here at this church into life in, in Christ. That's awesome. And we've been able to do that because you continue to come. And, and now this morning, we're taking the, another step in that mission to help every person possible find real life in Jesus um, by beginning to live stream our services. And so we're just very excited about what God is doing. The, the, the point of those stories, and really the bottom line for today is this, it's not what you come from, but what comes from you that really makes the biggest impact for the kingdom of God. It's not what you come from, but it's what comes from you that makes the biggest impact for the kingdom of God. We're going to be in Micah chapter 5 today. And so in the last series, we were in the book of Malachi. That was the last book in the Old Testament. We're going to be a little bit sooner than that in the book of Micah. And uh, same kind of deal. Micah was an Old Testament prophet. He spoke the word of God to the people, just like Malachi was an Old Testament prophet that spoke the word of God to people. So we're going to be in Micah chapter 5. And so you can follow along today on your mobile device, uh, on your Bible app. You can go to reallifecc.us and click on the My Message Notes tab there. Um, and uh, you can also follow along on the screen um, and as we roll on with the live stream in the coming weeks, we'll also post those uh, scripture references down in the comments as well. So Micah chapter 5, here's what it says. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, I have no idea if that's the right way to pronounce that, um, not uh, Greek or uh, Hebrew, so that's the best I can do. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be. Origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, in our last series, we spent four weeks looking at the book of Malachi. Where for 70 years in the city of Babylon, the nation of Babylon, the city of Susa, and the whole nation east of Jerusalem. Uh, this was disciplined by God for the sin of the people. And so he allowed Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to carry the people off into exile for 70 years. And there's a whole lot of other really cool biblical kind of stuff that goes into that. Maybe someday we'll talk about that. But there's just a whole lot of things that are happening here. Malachi comes about a hundred years after Israel has gotten back to Jerusalem. So the 70 years of exile are over. They come back to Jerusalem. They think everything is going to be great, that God is going to bless them, that the Messiah is going to come, that all of this stuff is going to happen. But as we learned in the last series, none of that happened because the people didn't change the way they lived. They continued to sin. They continued to defile the temple. They continued to offer God poor sacrifices. In the midst of that difficult conversation that God was having with the Israelite people through the prophet Malachi, we hear these words from God. And we closed the series last week talking about the messenger that God had promised to bring to Israel. Remember he said there's going to be a messenger that's going to come that's going to purify the people. This messenger of the covenant will purify the people and, and make them whole so that they could present pure and right offerings to God. 
Now Micah comes along in the chronology of the Old Testament or the Hebrew people about 300 years before Malachi. So in between Micah and Malachi, you have the exile and you have a lot of other stuff happening. Many cities and nations have come and they've kind of just besieged Israel. They've picked on her. It's a terrible situation and it all happens because of the people's sin. Then they're colored off into exile and then Malachi comes. 300 years before the exile, Micah speaks to the people. And he's prophesying about the exile, about what's to come and what's to happen. And it's pretty dark. Ma uh, Micah, the book, is a, is a pretty dark book about what's going to happen. But in chapter 5, we see that there is hope. Though Jerusalem is being attacked by their enemies, though, though their king is, is uh, uh, becoming a laughing stock, out of the weakest clan and one of the smallest cities, Bethlehem, it was, it was kind of looked like, I don't know, there were a bunch of hayseeds that come out of Bethlehem. You know what I mean? It's a small town. It's really like nothing good comes out of Bethlehem. But we have this promise from God through Micah that in the midst of this difficult thing, out of the weakest clan and the smallest city will come a ruler for God's kingdom. Now, just like the messenger that Malachi talked about, the, the, uh, the ruler that Micah speaks about, he talks about the coming Messiah. We understand that that's what he's talking about. We know that is the Savior. And, of course, you and I, because we have the Bible, we have the ability to look back at history. We have hindsight. We know that both Malachi and Micah are talking about Jesus. As we prepare to celebrate this incredible gift of God at Christmas time. We're reminded of this, I think, in Malachi and Micah, that the greatest things often come from the most unlikely situations. So I want you to know today, as we kick off this series, I want you to know that as we talk about how to live a life of more, that whatever situation you come from, and we got people from all kinds of different situations, but no matter what your past is, maybe your parents were divorced. Maybe you were physically or emotionally or sexually abused. Maybe there was disability uh, in your life that you struggled with or maybe a family member. Maybe you grew up in fear, fear from neighbors or from others, maybe even in your own family. Maybe you grew up in poverty. Your family just didn't have much of anything. Maybe you'd consider yourself to have grown up on the wrong side of the tracks. Whatever your parents were into, whatever situations you've been into, whatever situation you're trying to get out of yourself, you need to know that God doesn't want you to be wonderful. He just wants you to be willing. God doesn't need you to be wonderful. He just needs you to be willing. At Christmas, we're bombarded with grand gestures of, of love and, and acts of giving. And it's easy for us to get caught up and, and, and have this thought that like if we don't buy our spouse a car or a big diamond, if, if we don't go to Kay or Jared or whoever we're supposed to go to, if we don't get the Disney trip for our kids for Christmas, that we've failed somehow. The world would have us look at the, the super talented, the super wealthy, the super smart for salvation. 
And have us look at those people who, who we think have their life all together and have everything they could possibly want and go, man, if I could just be like them, if I could just get that, if I could just have those things, if I could have that money, then everything would be great. But it seems like the ones who most often seem to have it all are the ones who lose it all. Ralph Barton was one of the top cartoonists of the earliest 20th century, and, and he wrote this on his pillow before committing suicide. He said, I have had few difficulties, many friends, great successes. I have gone from wife to wife. I think he saw that as a good thing, by the way. From house to house. I've visited great countries of the world, but I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. You know, it's not the high and mighty that God chooses. It's the humble. Abraham was a nobody before God called him. In fact, Abraham lived while Moses or Noah was still alive. Uh, process that for a little bit. Right? Noah was the guy who brought his family through the flood. Right? God saved them. Forty days of flood water, the entire earth covered, the ark comes to rest, the door opens, Noah comes out, his family comes out. That dude is still alive when Abraham is born. Like, he could have walked down the street and had a conversation. Yo, Uncle uh, Noah, you know, Grandpa Noah, whatever. What was it like? Like, they could have had that conversation, but, but nobody knew Abraham before God called him. Moses was chased out of Egypt as a murderer. Ehud was left-handed. That's supposed to be a bad thing. I, and, and it's not really. I'm, my secretary's left-handed. I keep telling her I'm going to buy her some left-handed scissors so she can cut straight. Um, left-handed, like it's a normal thing today. But in the Old Testament, right, in the history, if you were left-handed, that was considered a disability. David was a shepherd, and he was the smallest guy in his family. Rahab, who's mentioned in the Bible several times, was a prostitute. Mary was an unwed teenage mother. James and John were smelly, uneducated fishermen. Those whom God has accomplished the most through have been those the rest of us would have passed over. I want to take a, a few minutes now and, and, and look at what Micah says about the future of this ruler, right? And in the second verse, he says, look, out of Bethlehem, this, this no-name city, nothing good comes from there. Out of Bethlehem is going to come this ruler and is going to be great for the kingdom. And then in verses 4 and a little bit in 5, he talks more about what this ruler is going to be like. And we're going to look at that next. Here's what Micah says in verse 4. This um, ruler who's going to come out of Bethlehem he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. And they will live securely. He's talking about the nation of Israel will live securely. For then his greatness, the greatness of the ruler, will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace. He talks about how the Assyrians are going to invade, but, but we're going to have peace because we have this ruler. The first thing we're told about this one who will be ruler over Israel is that he won't come as this, as this great king, and he won't be a mighty warrior, but that he will stand and shepherd his flock. 
In the Bible, the shepherd-sheep relationship was um, very strong among the people of, of Israel. Sheep were a huge staple for the people of, of Israel. They were hardy animals. They used them for food, and they used them uh, to sacrifice. They were part of the religious uh, preparations that people made to worship God in the temple. And so uh, there were lots and lots of sheep, and because there were lots and lots of sheep, there were lots and lots of shepherds. Um, and, and these shepherds were not particularly liked. In fact, we don't see a lot in Bible or in uh, extra-biblical stuff, history, when we look back at that time period, of like people inviting shepherds over to their house. You just, you just didn't do that. Shepherds were smelly. Uh, they were kind of like, like you think about, I, I don't know. Um, okay, so you, you know, we're El Dorados. There's lots of oil field people. If you talk to people who work in the oil fields, they have a certain idea about the way other people look at them. You, you know what I'm talking about? And, and so people who are like out there, those roughnecks, they've got an idea about how the rest of the world looks at them. That's probably pretty similar to how the shepherd relationship was with the rest of the people in Israel. There was just like this, like it just was a condescending relationship there. It just wasn't good. And yet there were lots of shepherds. But they were typically loners because they spent most of their time out in the fields with their sheep. They protected them from wild animals. They were out in the fields for long periods of time and, and nobody really liked them much except other shepherds. So the other shepherds, they got along real good, but if you were not a shepherd, that was a struggle, right? You just, they just didn't quite fit in with everybody else. Like you had to be a little odd to want to be a shepherd. That's probably why it was reserved for the youngest male in the family. That was always the one who would have to go out and tend the sheep. It was just a job that nobody really wanted. But even though shepherds had a difficult relationship with other people, they had a really incredible relationship with the sheep. Sheep need a lot of care. Domesticated sheep have to be led to water or they'll die of thirst. They have to be led to pastures, a green grass to eat, or they'll die of hunger. If they get cut, they can easily uh, get infected, the skin get infected, and under all of that wool, you can't see it. And, and so the uh, infection, it grows and it spreads, and you get maggots and all kinds of gross stuff in there that we don't need to talk about. But if a shepherd is not caring for the sheep, if he's not paying attention to the way they, they act and, and, and things, they might miss that. And so grooming the sheep and being with the sheep, in fact, the Bible tells us that most shepherds knew every sheep in their flock by name. They had this really incredible relationship. A sheep that wouldn't listen, I guess a, a lamb probably that wouldn't listen to the shepherd, wouldn't follow the shepherd as he was leading them, was a problem because that lamb could go off and get hurt, uh, get maimed or get eaten by a wild animal. And so the shepherd would break the leg of the lamb and then he would carry that lamb on his shoulders. He would feed it by hand until the leg was healed. And, and once that happened, that sheep was like a, uh, like a pet that we might have. Not a cat, because cats are bad, but dogs. A dog who really loves you was, you know, like right there. And, and that's how that relationship developed with those sheep that had had their legs broken by the shepherd. There was just this incredible bond between them. I guess really what I'm trying to say is, is this. If you were a shepherd, you had to love your sheep. 
You had to love your sheep. You, you had to know your sheep. You had to be willing to risk your life for them, to protect them. You had to be willing to go to extreme lengths to find water and to find good pasture for them. The ruler of Israel, he says, would be a shepherd, would stand as a shepherd for my people. And, and for an Israelite listening to that, they would absolutely know, like immediately they would know exactly what Micah was talking about. They would have this beautiful picture in their minds of a shepherd caring for and loving and providing and leading his sheep out to pasture, bringing them in at night and putting them in the pen, protecting them and watching over them and caring for them. That's exactly what the people of Israel would have understood when he says that my, this ruler is going to stand as a shepherd. But Micah goes on to say two things about this, this shepherd king. First, he says that, that this shepherd will stand in the strength of the Lord. And secondly, this shepherd would stand in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. So I'm going to talk about those two things for just a minute. First, he says that this shepherd ruler would stand as a shepherd in the strength of the Lord. Shepherding is hard work. It requires a lot of patience and a lot of strength, a lot of, of stamina. Like I, I, I used to be able to go out and enjoy you know, camping in a sleeping bag in a tent. I don't do that anymore. Like I can't function like outside. Okay, if I have a camper and a bed and primarily air conditioning, I'm good. Uh, I got my TV in there. Like I'm, I'm, I'm set. James over here, James has a, has a camper. I, I could function in James' uh, camper. Uh, I think he has a TV inside and a TV for outside. Or maybe it's the same one. I don't know. But I could function with that. Um, sleeping outside in the yuck and the elements, I, 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 don't, I don't do that um, anymore. Not because I can't, you'll understand. I just choose not to. Uh, that's not really true. I can't. And if I'm uncomfortable sleeping, everybody's uncomfortable sleeping because I snore like a bear. Okay. You probably didn't need to know that. Um, that's just for those people joining us online. Thought they might want to know a little bit about me. Okay. Shepherds require a lot of patience and um, strength. Think about it like this. Uh, a mother and father of uh, like a newborn baby. And judging by the number of kids that we have in the nursery, there's a lot of you that are going to connect with this analogy. When a newborn baby, you have a newborn baby at home, right? You, you like That takes up all your time. And it doesn't matter how bad you feel, how sick you are, how tired you are. It doesn't matter how bad of a day you had. You've got to take care of that kid, right? There's diapers to be changed. There's noses to be wiped. There's, uh, they're crying and they're burping and they're this and that. You know, there's tons of stuff you've got to do. Chad and Bree over here, they had uh, twins. They're a little bit older now, but now they have a baby. You know exactly. I've watched your posts on Facebook. I know exactly what they're talking about. Exhausted, you know, been work all day and they come home and, and there's got a sick kid. And you deal with it, right? You have to deal with it. And, and there's this, like, I don't know, this supernatural strength that parents get when it's time to take care of baby. Like, I'm exhausted. I don't know how I can do it. But you get up and do it, right? Like, you, you have to do that. There's this love that pushes you forward, this strength that often you didn't know that you had. Babies don't just stop when you don't feel good or you're tired. They keep going. There's always something new to do, no matter how little energy 
you have. Micah says that this new ruler that would come out of Bethlehem would shepherd in, not in his own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. See, our strength is limited. My strength is limited. My strength right now is limited to about three push-ups. I think I would probably do three. I could knock out three. You have to give me a few minutes, but I could probably do it. Uh, I have to build that up, right? You know, I've got to do that a little more, do a little more push-ups, a few more each and every day to build that up. But the strength that comes from God, like that's unlimited, right? I mean, that's God of the universe who spoke everything into existence. There was no physical effort for him. Like he rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, because he was done. Like, I just, I did it. I'm done. I'm okay. Like, it's not a big deal for God. And, and, and Micah says that this king that would come wouldn't have to function in his own strength, but would function by the strength of God. I think Micah's readers probably would have come to mind really quickly, thought of really quickly, King David. Now, king David was a beloved king of Israel. In fact, when you talk about um, the Hebrew people, you talk about that, they always go back to David. David was the great king. He was the second king of Israel, right? Saul was the first one. He didn't do a very good job. God removed him from that place. He, he died in battle. And then David became the king, and David was a beloved king. Everybody loved David. Now, he messed up. He messed up several times. He messed up pretty big. But the Bible says that, that David was after the heart of God. And there's this relationship that David has with God that was incredible. But, but here's what I want to talk about. When David was a young boy, remember he was the smallest in his family, and he was the shepherd for his father's sheep. And when a bear and a lion came to steal one of the sheep, to capture one of the sheep, David ran out to fight that, that, uh, that animal, and he killed the bear and he killed the sheep he says with my own hands I killed him now you might know David from the story of David and Goliath right it's after the bear and the lion that David comes he uh, finds his brothers they're getting ready to fight the Philistines there's this nine-foot something giant out there who's taunting God and the Israelite people and David says who, who is this uh, who is this Philistine that that he would taunt the armies of the living God and so David runs out to do battle with him. And David says this to, to, to King Saul at the time. He says this, when I was watching my father's sheep, I killed the lion and I killed the bear. God gave me the strength to do that and this Philistine will be like one of them. David fought in the strength of God. Even though he was the smallest in his family, he functioned in the strength of of the Lord and he was able to accomplish these great things so Micah says look this ruler would not rely on his own strength as he led the people of Israel he would rely on God's strength which never runs out secondly Micah said that that this ruler that would would come this promised ruler that's gonna stand and shepherd the people of God would shepherd in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God one of the problems that we have with fame is that eventually you begin to buy your own press, right? People look at you and they talk about how great you are and pretty soon you begin to believe it. Can I just be real honest with you for a minute? I think Ezekiel Elliott is one of those guys. And he's a cowboy. 
Like, he's not a cowboy. He's a cowboy. Football. Uh, Dallas Cowboys player. Highest paid running back ever in the history of the NFL. $90 million contract he signed this year. I watched him get out of his car the other day, or I don't know, whatever car he drove to the stadium last week when they got humiliated by the Bills. Okay, don't bring that up to me afterwards. Okay, I, I know, there's six and six, I know. But look, I watched him pull up to the stadium and get out of his car. Had this really white car. It was probably a Rolls Royce. I don't know. Had suicide doors in the back. The dude gets out of his car in one of those suits, you know, that those NFL players wear that don't really match, but they're cool because whatever. And this guy runs around to the back of uh, Zeke, and he puts his jacket on. Like he had his jacket. There's some little gnome in the back, like ironing it. And he jumps out, and he puts it on, and he puts his jacket on, and he's cool, and then he walks in the building. I don't know what he rushed for that game, but it was pretty pitiful, whatever it was. Like, if you're getting $90 million, you should be able to put every other player on your back and run them all into the end zone, and he can't do that. And so I'm like, okay, but here's a guy who's like bought his own press, and that's the problem when, when, when we're in this and we begin to buy into the majesty of our own name. It leads to trouble when we get caught up in the majesty of our own name, our own fame, our own ability. What happens is we begin to walk back from God. The God who gave us that ability in the first place. The God whose name is greater still and whose fame is everlasting. And, and our role here on earth is not to point to ourselves and go, look how good I am, but is to point to God and go, look how good God is. God gave me the strength to do this. God gave me the ability to do this. God gave me the finances to do this. It all comes from God. But when we begin to buy into our own name, we walk back from God, and pretty soon it's all about us. The shepherd king who relies on God's strength also reveres God's name. But it's not just the name of God publicly. Like there's a lot of people that you might come to, you might ask that say, yeah, I believe in, in God. And, and we get people up on stages with millions of folks watching and they'll stand up in front of all their friends uh, with a Tony or whatever and they'll say, I'd like to thank God for giving me, you know, so God gave me this award probably for some R-rated disgusting movie that they just did. I don't know. There's a lot of people who play lip service to God. Like, God gave me this. God did. And, and, and that's one thing, to stand up and kind of, kind of pay this kind of fake homage to God. It's another thing to spend time with that God so that you learn to revere his name in private. And that's really what I think... Micah is saying of this ruler that's going to come. He says, look, this, this ruler is going to, he's going to stand and, and, and he's going to revere the name of God, the Lord, his God, it says. This king has a personal relationship with God. It, it's not just like hearsay. It's not just like, yeah, my parents went to church. It's not just like, yeah, God gave me this award. It's I know this God. He's been there for me. He's with me. He gives me strength. It's in his name that I fight. That's the kind of relationship that this king is going to have. He would fight. He would stand in the name of the Lord, his God, because of that relationship that he built over time. It's not a show for him. It's serious business. And so this ruler would not rally people around his own name, but he would revere God's name. 
And he would be pointing people to God, not to himself. Look what happens to this nobody from nowhere. Right, this ruler that's going to come from this small clan in this out-of-the-way city. When he stands in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God to shepherd Israel, then, it says, his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be our peace. Or, or he will bring peace when the enemy attacks. Now, we're still a relatively... Um, small church. Now, really, by national standards, we're a medium-sized church. We're over 100. We've surpassed a lot of the other churches that are around. In fact, um, a, a lot of churches, uh, when you look, a vast majority of churches have 50 or fewer people in them. But really, we're still a relatively small church. We don't even um, have a building, for crying out loud. But we're taking steps, right? ever so slowly, sometimes with difficulty, but always trying to faithfully follow God's lead. But just because we're a small church doesn't mean that God can't or won't use us whenever we're willing. You see, if we're going to help every person possible find real life in Jesus and look more like him every day, it's going to take every person present. Every person present getting involved in giving serving and loving everybody else we're going to need people as we continue on and in 2020 we're going to need people boy that's weird to say 2020 we thought we'd get there okay 2020 we're going to need people as we press on into 2020 with deep pockets who are going to be able to give larger sums along with the rest of us who don't have as much to give but give what we can we're going to need everybody giving what they can to see what God has for us realized. We're going to need everyone serving in whatever way God has gifted you to do that. From, from loving on the infants in our nursery to teaching our children how to know and, and love God at a way and a level they can understand to, to, running, to running cameras like Jim and, and some of the others this morning to, to welcoming people. Look, I, I know everybody gets real used to seeing Adam and, and, and Linda and Pam out there in the lobby. I would love to see 10 people out there every week in the parking lot, in the lobby, in the big room here, just welcoming our guests and, and, and our regulars and making sure that everybody, like, are you comfortable? Do you have what you need? It's good to see you. I'd love to see everybody involved in, in that. Find a place to serve. We need you if we're going to reach them. And, and really, and I think probably most importantly, we need everybody to love everyone. Like not just our friends and neighbors, not just those that sit in the same row as you do so you get to kind of know them a little bit. But everybody. We would learn to love humanity like Jesus did so that we're willing to give and to serve at greater levels so that the next person might find real life in Jesus just like you and me. And what God can do with a church that's willing to, to give and to serve and to love, he can also do with an individual believer that's willing. Willing to give of what you have, not to get a return on investment, but for the majesty of the name of the Lord your God. Willing to serve, 
even if it means missing out once in a while, serving in the strength of God so that others can hear from God, willing to love even when others might be unlovely. This, this Christmas season, I want to challenge you, challenge all of us to give and to serve and to love so that every person possible might find real life in Jesus and look more like him every day. Look, if the God of the universe thought it fitting to send his only son as a humble, helpless baby, do you think that God's looking for a superstar or a servant to lead people to himself? Maybe you're one of those today that, that thought, um, I don't have much to give God because I come from a messed up family. I don't have much to give God because I've, I've lived a messed up life. I'm, I'm in a, a messed up relationship. I've got a messed up backstory. I want you to know today that, that if that's you, if you come from this kind of messed up life, you are exactly the kind of person that God is looking for. You shouldn't let your past keep you from God because God hasn't let your past keep him from you. He's been searching for you and looking for you and, and finding every opportunity he can in his life to present himself to you and to draw you to himself. And maybe you've missed it every other time that he's been presented to you, but maybe today is a day that you can see him drawing you. If you're one of those who thought you weren't good enough, I want you to listen. Because this is the gospel message. This is everything that the Bible is summed up to be. Jesus is good enough to come to us, to you, because he knows that you're not good enough to get to him. That's the gospel message that Jesus came to you, like he closed the distance. He came to you because he knew you couldn't get to him, which means he knows about your baggage and he knows about your history and your hang-ups and he knows you've messed up. He knows about all that stuff and you wanna know something? He doesn't care. He doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care about the things you've done or what you've seen or where you've been, but he cares a great deal about your future. Don't let your past keep you from experiencing real life in Jesus band in just a minute is going to play but but if you're one of those um, people today here in person who thought I, I, I can't take that step towards God because of the things that have been messed up in my life if that's you I want you to know today that that's all God is asking from you like you don't have to do anything else just be there. like he's there for you just take that step and so when the band plays in just a moment if you've got a messed up life, but you're ready to be a part of the family of God, I want you to head back to the Connection Hub. It's just where that table is back there and a couple iPads. We'll have some folks back there who just, you just go back and tell them, I'm ready to take my next step with Jesus. You know, the world has plenty of superstars, but it has few servants. 
And so I think we need to ask ourselves, how can I give God more? How can I serve God more? How can I love God more? This season, how can I love God more this coming year so that every person possible can find real life in Jesus? I hope that thought will stick with you this week, this month, and, and even as we move into 2020 and the rhythms of the new year. But, but I want to promise you this above that. If every person present, every person present here got involved in just even one of those ways, giving, serving, or loving, it would change everything about our church. It would change everything for this city in 2020. It would mean that we'd have more to work with, to do the things that God has called us to do, and, 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 and maybe we'd get closer to having that place that could be open every day of the week as we minister to people in this community and we spread the, the name and the fame of Jesus. Maybe it would mean that when we serve, that, that, that God would bring us more people because we'd be able to handle those that he's bringing. It would mean we'd continue to be a place where people don't find judgment, but they find joy as we worship God together. You may feel like you don't have much to give this season, but those God uses most are the ones who rely on his strength and revere his name. And neither of those cost you anything. But they do make it possible for you to give and serve and to love like Jesus. And, and then when you do that, when you give and you serve and you love like Jesus, nobody will care what you came from. But they will absolutely rejoice because of what comes from you which really comes from him anyway, right? So listen, when you give, serve, and love for Jesus, you'll discover more from Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for all that you have given us and for your great love. And God, today, we just come before you here, not because we're perfect, but because you're perfect. And God, because you gave us your son, Jesus, that's who we're talking about. That's who Micah was talking about 700 years before Jesus, this ruler that would come as a shepherd, that would stand in the strength of God, that would, that would revere the name of the Lord his God. That's Jesus. And he came to us because we couldn't get to you. And so, Father, because of that, we have joy, an incredible joy, because we don't have to continue to live in our past, we can have hope for our future. God, you're looking for those who've messed up, who come from those situations, because you want to turn those lives around. And so today, Father, throughout this season and in the coming year, would we, would we learn to give and to serve and to love you more 
so we could truly live a life of more in relationship to you. God, thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name. Let's stand as we sing our last song. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven, heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior. sounding joy repeat the sounding joy repeat repeat the sounding joy joy unspeakable joy an overflowing well no tongue can tell Joy, unspeakable joy, it rises in my soul, never lets me go. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glory. of his love and wonders wonders of his love joy unspeakable joy an overflowing well no tongue can tell joy everyone. Thanks for being here. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. 
If you like us to pray with you, click the prayer request tab. If you like more info on taking your next step with Jesus, click on I'm ready on the next step tab. There's a lot more ways you can connect on the website. So take some time poking around and then let us know how we can serve you. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. God created us to be in community with one another, and we believe that being in church is a great way to build that community. Until then, we hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.